Vive la liberté et vive l'anarchie Vive l'anarchie Vous êtes sûr Non Oui, évidemment Vive l'anarchie Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Barco with co-host, teacher and socialist Andy Lipson and writer and teacher Jessica. We are online at whatsleftpodcast.com. You can find that link to our blog in the episode notes. You can also find our personal social media handle as at Don Eduardo Barca and at ZBKE on Instagram and Jessica's Twitter handle as at jhomi89. Please subscribe, rate, review. Turn on your notifications and share your favorite episode where we found this episode. Thank you. All right, let's do this. Andy, you had an idea for us to do this social socialist. No. Oh this, no. <laughs> you had an idea to do this this anarchist episode on our personal journey. Uh, it's uh, something you've been wanting for us to do, and. And I'm very glad I'm not doing it by myself. You are now going to interview us. We are the subject, Jessica yeah. and myself. Go ahead. Why? Yeah. Well, if anybody who's been with this show from the beginning will know that possibly the second episode we did was, Eduardo, I think it was the second episode, Eduardo interviewing me about what do I mean by socialism? Why am I a socialist? And four years ago, I think when I asked Eduardo to let's try to do the same thing, he said, no, I'm not ready yet. Um, and four years later, I think he's ready now to talk about his beliefs. And now we've had Jessica join us. And Jessica, I think you played a real role in him being more willing to talk about his political beliefs. And I think, um, so I, I think this is an opportunity to talk about what you guys believe or you people believe. Um, uh, and what I think would be described, and I know neither of you is big on labels, but your beliefs, if we were to put up a, a belief, if we, were put, if we were to put a label to your political beliefs, maybe we'd describe them. One of the ways we might describe them is anarchism or an anarchist. And let me check if that's correct, Jessica and Eduardo. So what I have in my one of my social medias, I think I, I, I should have checked this, but I'm pretty sure I have in my bio, like, anarchist in training <laughs> okay because <laughs> i feel like i lean toward more of an anarchist perspective but i i mean it's still relatively new for me i mean we're gonna go into like our kind of backstories and stuff but yeah i mean i'd say it's only the last couple of years where that label has really been even something i would consider applying to myself right um but yeah i mean more than any other labels I can think of, I guess. Except feminist. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, feminist anarchist. Right. And what about you, Eduardo? Uh, I think for me, I would describe myself first and foremost as anti-capitalist. That's just, I've, I've, from the very beginning of what's left, I've always said that. I, I've always said anti-capitalist. I have that on my unused Facebook. and. That's what I just go by. I think that that I don't sub, um, subscribe, prescribe. What would be the word? Prescribe. How do you say? Prescribe. 
I don't prescribe myself to. Is it now? I'm confused. You tell me both. I don't know you, what the rest of the sentence says. So. I'm. Oh, I. I don't, don't subscribe to capitalist ideals. So. I think it is subscribe. I think you would say subscribe. Subscribe. Oh my goodness. Let's keep this part because even people with who have spoken English their whole lives still don't yeah. help me out on this. Yeah. <laughs> I can subscribe, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe. Well, I'm just saying that. I don't, I, I, I don't um, to subscribe, prescribe, subscribe, however you say. Well, uh, I don't subscribe to any sort of set ideology as I used to because of my experiences. But I know uh, I've, I was attracted to socialism, but it isn't something that always fit well with me because I'm, you know, growing up in Latin America, growing here and then going to school here and back and forth and getting from the media, just how much it, it didn't do well. I think that that has an influence on me. And, you know, Cuba was always demonized in the USA and it also was, you know, differently demonized, but also very criticized in Mexico. Uh, but I've always been attracted to uh, something other than capitalist ways. I've I think that people who have been watching um, what's left knows that I I I've always thought of maybe needing uh, some form of hybrid as the revolution comes, like as when hoping the revolution comes. So I would still uh, maintain my uh, progressive ideals here in a local way in the USA, just to uh keep things into place i've always said this like for example keeping uh, our waters clean or trying to fight for environmental causes that really are important to me and and in voting for certain things as we are trying to create a better place but that that has long since changed since some people some people might know but yeah always anti-capitalist before even saying anarchist uh i think reading uh specifically books like Ricardo Flores Magón or even just uh, just uh, some of the earlier European anarchist fathers, forefathers, uh, or just Emma Goldman. And these things have also influenced me. But then I'm not I'm not I'm not very uh keen on on this on this label of anarchist as I've seen socialists do socialists do say they're socialists and proud socialists and they they're very they're very, this label is important to i've seen other socialists not maybe the same way of thinking as you andy but other friends who are socialists that clearly mark themselves as socialists there's something about being a socialist that has to i'm a communist i'm a i'm a this i'm a socialist and i will give credit to Karl marx that obviously wrote immensely and wrote the book capital so there is the economics that are laid out and how to a methodology, for example, that, that is laid out that I think even anarchists can look at. I don't think that anarchists dismiss socialism. I think socialists dismiss anarchists. And and that's what happens. So I, that happens in history in, Ru in Russia and happens in Spain. Um, and so we'll talk more about that maybe. But the point is that, that that's what I... I 
I identify as. I identify as first anti-capitalism and and preferably the in the ideal world an anarchist society. I think it's a lot like just the anti-capitalist thing. I don't mean this as a dig because I feel like the same aversion sometimes to the like labels, but like it it's so much easier to define what you're against or to like label what you're yeah. against is to say like I'm committing to like this is the ideological lens that I stand for, right? Especially with like shorthand when it's just like a quick thing and you're not gonna have like I mean we're gonna sit here and like break it down because we're cool and we like to have in good faith conversations about this stuff. But in most cases, right, it's like, oh, you're an anarchist, yes or no, and then move on. So I yeah, yeah. like it's a lot easier to apply labels like anti anti-war, anti-capitalism, anti-patriarchy, yeah. right? Than it is to be like, I am this and this is the society that I want to create. Yes. I yeah. think you're right. I was going to or go ahead, Eduardo. I I'm just to say when I'm I'm organizing, I don't say I'm an anarchist. I say I'm anti-capitalist because anarchist anarchism brings some there's something heavy about it that it already carries that people have already notions about. And I just say anti-capitalist. And that is easier. You're right, just when I, I don't talk about I I do things that I hope will bring them and I can share with them an intimate way. What is anarchist anarchism? Yeah, I don't even walk around, especially here. Like I don't I mean, where I like in the place I live, I don't even really walk around saying like I'm a feminist because it carries so much baggage. Right. Much and if like only people knew yeah. <laughs> they listen right. to yeah. Right. Well, I think the reason the thing that the thing that was interesting for me about this conversation and whether you will describe um whether what comes out turns out to be anarchism or not, it is, mm -hmm. I want to know more about what you are for, because I actually mm. do think I understand. I think most of our audience understands that both of you are anti-capitalist. But what I think is interesting is when a person starts to articulate, what are they stand, what do they stand for? Mm -hmm. Whether or not that's achievable, whether or not, whether that's even like going to get, like maybe it'll turn out bad when you get there, but here's where you are. You don't like where we, we are. Here's where you, what are you, where would you like to head? And that's, I always, I'm really curious about that conversation, definitely with Jessica and also Eduardo with you, because I think you've definitely gone on a journey as, you know, before you used to be like trying to get me to vote and then you were trying to collect my vote so you could use it, you know, mm -hmm. and now you're just done with that. Now it's your vote. Now it's compost your vote. And I'm like, yes, I'm agreed with you, you know, so um, I'm hoping today, and I think this is true. This is true for all socialists. This is true for anybody's political beliefs. I think they are as unique as that person because. I think everyone has a slightly different take. Well, I think it kind of should be that way because, you know, people are individuals. So I would say for any anarchist, for any socialist, for any person who has any sort of political beliefs, they're going to be unique. And I think I think I want to get a chance to, to hear you both talk more deeply about your own. Yeah, I guess to me, it's a funny one too for me. I mean, I mentioned that it's, still like a relatively new ideology for me to be like I don't know identifying with and like grappling with and trying to apply um even though like I had had exposure to it in the past but I like I think I mean obviously I'm an academic in some sense and I can be like quite intellectually oriented at times but 
when it comes to like political like political theory I'm really like only interested in it insofar as it can be or is attempted to be applied if that makes sense um like I I don't I bet Eduardo has read way more anarchist texts than me like I don't I am a reader, but like most, mostly I sit around reading like novels and poetry. So I think maybe there's like part of the hesitation is from that as well as kind of feeling like that sort of gatekeeping academia part of my brain. That's like, I, I think I, I think I do believe in a lot of sort of what I would define as anarchism, but I, I don't necessarily feel like I have, I'm going to attempt to do so, but I don't necessarily feel like I have the language yet. Or like I'm still developing it um, to really articulate it as like a full cohesive political ideology. Um, even as I do feel like there are aspects of it that I'm that I not only stand behind, but that I'm actually trying to implement in my life and like in my community, which is that's the part that really matters to me more than like you know what I believe or what I say. Um, but yeah, so I guess for me. Um, I always hear um, Steve Poikinen refer to anarchism as like a relationship, like not so much an ideology, but a relationship. And I really like that idea. Um, and, and even just like the idea that our, like most of our daily interactions are somewhat anarchic in nature. You know, it, I don't feel like it's this super crazy, like far off, romantic idealistic society when people talk about anarchy which is often the association it's like either it's like lord of the flies angry like each man for himself just like violence and chaos is the stereotype or it's like oh you guys are just like this utopian idealist you know unrealistic and i don't i feel like i mean Okay, yeah, there's like the the minor obstacle of abolishing the state. There's like that small, you know, overcoming the like the ironclad monopoly on violence part of it. Mm -hmm. But I mean, my I guess my okay, if I'm gonna say my utopian like vision of the society that I want, and we'll call it anarchist, um, my brand of that utopia would be nature centric. Um, it would be, I guess, like feminist or matriarchal, um, which is to say non-hierarchical. So I know a lot, it's another misconception that like matriarchy is just like patriarchy, but flipped. No, it's, it's a non-hierarchical structure where your, you know, decisions are made collectively, consensus building, mutual aid right? Like these sorts of things, um, like reciprocity, which obviously there's a lot of, um, like, especially in terms of like an economy that's based on reciprocity or mutuality. Like, obviously there's a lot of indigenous kind of precedents for that. Um, particularly in terms of like sustainability and, um, the environment, right. Which like coming back to the nature centric part of it. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, nature centric, matriarchal, you know, just lighter, like more pleasure centric, I think, too. Like that sounds kind of silly and like apolitical, but 
yeah, I mean, just like imagining the the real society that I want, like more, more sleep, more laughter, more fun, more leisure. I'll keep sports. We can be normy, normy enough to keep sports. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, we'll probably get into like the question of like, what is the revolution if that is seen as like the how we get there or at least like one step in the process of getting to whatever society we're striving to get toward. Um, and then I guess the other thing I'll mention and then I'll let Eduardo go, but I think another aspect of it that is really fundamental to what I, how I define anarchism, which maybe there's not, I don't know, you guys all have to tell me because you probably read more, but like, I don't think there's as much political, like anarchist political theory around like the role of spirituality. Um, because I think that part of it is, I feel like it's either dismissed or completely overblown to the point where it's obscuring like material realities, but more of, more often the former, more often it's like the dismissal of it. Um, and I do think in my view, there's a spiritual dimension to um, an anarchist conception of the world um and i guess like yeah when when we talk about revolution maybe we can get more into this but i think there's going to be like there has to be a fuck ton of spiritual healing that has to occur before whatever the predictable revolution can can occur um and i think that's probably going to take like several generations <laughs> minimum um, so yeah, I guess like the, you know, no gods, no masters, like brand, right? Like I, I kind of only agree with the second part of that. <laughs> brand. Um, maybe not like capital G God. Um, maybe it's nature, maybe it's the divine feminine, but um, yeah, I don't know. Is that? That is, that's very helpful. With? Yeah, that's very good. Um, Eduardo, can I ask a follow-up question to Jessica and then we can come back? to you um because i think it might be helpful because i can you help me understand when you say a matriarchal relationship um we've been doing work together through what's left we've been organizing a little bit together here we like how would do we are we interacting in a matriarchal way are we not are we actually interacting in a patriarchal way and you this is not to make an argument here i just want to know how if you can help me and maybe our audience understand what you mean with that matriarch a matriarchal way of associating that would that means it sounds more like you said less it's it's more horizontal yeah um, so can you say a little bit more about that and i'm going to get adorna yeah i mean to me i get it's hard because i i mean we're one we're not in person so i think it's hard um and we're not we're just here kind of as individuals as opposed to the blessings or complications or whatever of like familial structures and children and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think some of the qualities of a matriarchal society with regard to that, I, that like non-hierarchical principle would be like a consensus process, which to me is a very anarchist. Like I think there's a ton of overlap between like matriarchal ideology and anarchist thought um and i think we generally do we make 
decisions by consensus. You know, we're not, we don't, we don't use like Robert's rules or like, you know, we don't vote. Um, and then, I mean, there's, there's within the sort of matriarchal paradigm, there's some of the same debates that I, I have seen show up in, well, a lot of activist communities, but definitely anarchist ones of the like non-aggression principle. Um, so like non, obviously like non-violent direct action, I am for both from a matriarchal and from an anarchist position. I personally am not against violent direct action. Um, so they're like, I don't know, like I, I was very influenced or am very influenced by people like um, Andrea Dworkin, who was like a, a militant feminist. I'd probably call her an anarchist. I mean, feminist is usually like the leading term with someone like her. But um, but yeah, I think, I mean, maybe that's a slightly, that's an offshoot of the question that you asked. But yeah, I mean, I think that the fundamental principle is non-hierarchical when it comes to like families and stuff. There's also obviously like a centering of mothers and a centering of like child rearing and, and stuff like that. Um, which we don't deal with <laughs> on what's left. Right. But, um, but it's not, yeah, it's not from that position of like, well, the men are just like the subordinate sex, right. Which is how it is under patriarchy. Um, I don't know. Can I answer your question a little bit? I think that's good enough. We'll see how, because there, there was another question that may also help get. Yeah. We have to do another episode on matriarchal societies. Yeah. So Eduardo, work, you go ahead and why don't you take it from there in terms of how you would describe your ideas in terms of what you, what you believe in and what you're fighting for. I think for me, it's, um, it, you know, you're always a product of your environment. I think the first time I was in, I used so I've I've mentioned in this in on on what's left that I went to school here but spent more than three months of my summers in Mexico and go back and forth. But I remember specifically I forget if it was I, it couldn't have been when I was fifteen because we were in France. I must have been fourteen. Uh, so just like in. In the USA, you take these road trips and you go and you visit places. You go to the Grand Canyon or whatever. In Mexico, we would also just just go to other states. Every Mexican goes to, like, you either go to Acapulco, you go to other states in Michoacán, or to Querétaro, whatever. You go to other states. And we took a road trip to Chiapas. And I, at that time... Uh, I remember we, we, my mom decided we would go through a uh, part of Chiapas that was up there at that time. And when we would be in a town, there I don't remember the exact town we were in, and I have pictures and I want to share it. There was, there were a lot of indigenous down south of Mexico that are more indigenous people. And there were always whispers in Chiapas of Subcomandante Marcos. And I remember seeing women selling these little figures, these black figures with like in his eyes, just covered 
just everything covered, just his eyes would show. And he had his pipe, very classic, with Comandante Marcos. And it was Zapatista territory. So it, to me, was what was fascinating was the elusiveness, this ghost-like figure, this person who people would whisper about, this person who was in the background in Mexico causing causing chaos and causing people to this wonderment, this intrigue that people were intrigued and I was intrigued. I fell in, in, in a lot of leftists in Mexico fell in love with this image. And just like you see this Che Guevara sort of image and stamped in places where I see here in San Francisco, I in Mexico you'd see the stamped uh stenciled yeah. de Marcos in Mexico. Uh, so I, I think that was my first introduction to who is this Zapatista who is causing who didn't call himself a socialist, who was just causing an all in black and and militant and causing this 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 stirring of of a, of a revolutionary act in Mexico. What I think I would describe my ideals would be uh, to create societies that very that look similarly. In Mexico, you know, I have this book um, I want people to check out, which is Anarchism in Latin America, and it's translated, and, I, and I'll put it in the episode notes. And there are so many examples in Mexico that have anarchist societies or anarchist places. Right now, most of it's known. It's the, the people near the, the Turkey. I forget their name at this moment. It's escaping me. And the Zapatistas. But... But there are so many knit small places of people having tried anarchism. What that would look like was to be what in Mexico they have done to get rid of their police, arm themselves, and arm themselves against drug traffickers and police. Because in, in in especially in three or four society, three or four communities in Mexico, they see them just as corrupt, the drug traffickers and the police. I, I would love to see that in the USA, you know, for so much of, I've, I've criticized people looking at my country as if it's some third world country. It's not. There's a lot of wealth. We've been on the record in Forbes for the richest man in all for, of the world was Carlos Slim in Mexico for the longest time until, you know, tech started booming and you had more. And then we we have this division and the disparities are so great in Mexico, the rich Mexicans always stay in Mexico and the poor Mexicans leave. So there is this, 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 sometimes when people see Mexico, it's like, I don't know, there are different areas of Mexico they have to visit. There's the poor areas, the rich areas, and then there are the no man's land sort of areas. And uh, in Me in the USA, I, I don't think that I would ever I don't know. I, it's hard for me to see what I see in Mexico. I don't know if I'd ever see some city, some town. You know, I, I've said here that I've lived in Emmett, Idaho at one point with my friend Jake. I I, I couldn't see it be run just by the community. I, I would think the country, the, the federal government would step in because it'd be too much cows. They would just, whoa, autonomous, on its own, self-governing. It's off-grid. No, not going to happen. Shoot that down, right? And I, I think 
that's what amazes me of Mexico is that we have three or four communities that do that. We have the Zapatistas. I, I remember the Bundy people who were trying to take over land. And what happened to that? So whether we agree, conservative or left or whatever, I, I don't know if for much of the praise and how much this country is advanced or whatever, I think a country that is advanced is a country that knows how to take care of its own, that is able to do what I've seen in my country, which is these communities that got rid of the police, get rid of the drug traffickers, get rid of politicians that have that have taken over land, that have shot military and they're like they 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 defend themselves, that create their own schools. This is the kind of thing that I would love to see ripple effects of it. And it's happening in Mexico. <laughs> A place that you think is, you know, I don't know what people think. I think people think it's so backwards or whatever. Uh, so that's my that's my exposure to it. Uh, then, you know, I, I get swept away when I got out of the Jehovah's Witness world. I got swept away by the organization of the liberal progressive left. So it's always been in the back of my head. Chiapas, Chiapas, the Zapatistas, the Zapatistas. And I remember going to the, uh, the bookshop in San Francisco that is on Hayden Ashbury. And that is, uh, do you know what I'm talking about, Auntie? I forget the, well, there's an anarchist bookshop in the hate. And when you come, Jess, we'll have to go see it. I think and I went. I think I went yeah. there when I went to San Francisco. I can't remember the name of it, but if you said it, I'd be like, yes, yeah, yeah. It's not AK Press because that that suddenly that that's online now, and it's AK Press is different. It's um, it'll come to me. Definitely, will write it in the comments. <laughs> yeah, it'll come to me. It'll come to me. It's not Valerian, right? No. Okay, that's in the mission. Starts with a B. But there is this anarchist bookshop that has been this long-standing bookshop that I was I walked into uh, as an adolescent because I would skip school because I went to John O'Connell High School and I would just write Nuni and read or just take it and and then I remember going to Kate and Ashbury and I came across this bookshop and it and it just inspired me this this older white silver haired person just reading and reading and reading every time i went and i thought wow he's like some sage i want to be that i want to read like that you know you have to get you have to get that that organized you know organization also means as che Guevara would do with you know the people he would train to be military also throw books at them and like get to do something so I remember found, found together. There you go. Thank you. Oh. Thank you. Bound together bookshop. And and they had this prison, this prison program. And I think they started it where they would take books out and, and send them to like San Quentin. San Quentin. So anyhow, this is my this is this is the beginnings of, of me wanting to know what it's like. To, to think differently. I've said before, like even in circles that I'm part of, 
friends or I used to be a part of with Democrat circles and progressive circles. I used to bring my ideas into here and about abolition prison up as a prison abolitionist, as a as someone that believed in open what well, believes in open borders, as someone that would talk about um alternative ways to deal with um community what people would call crime, or I would call them just conflicts, things that happened, you know, or to deal with poverty. And it always, this, this, this way of, it's just very reformist. And I kind of bought into it because I thought, well, what else do we have? And so people have seen that journey of mine throughout what's left. And I think COVID is what really changed it for me. It's like, oh my goodness, no one, <laughs> it's all just political theater, <laughs> you know? So it's just cemented and I, got back to reading some of the stuff I would read that was just academic for me at the time. And uh, I remember reading about the Wobblies. I remember reading about uh, Noam Chomsky's book, which I found it at the library, by the way. I found this little one. It's like 101, Anarchism 101, you know? Uh, this is what I I remember. I found it at the library. And I thought, oh, good. And this was the little, little intro into what anarchism was for me. And I went to go get it back. And this is what I, over, what was it, last year, 2021, that I started rereading. I even told you, Andy, I'm starting to reread stuff at night. And I would read this one here, which is a good book, Demanding the Impossible, A History of Anarchism by Peter Marshall, who's British. And this, this book has really given me a chance to revisit the past of my desire to really delve into this ideal way of living but I, I i i got swept away i guess i got convinced that maybe we need to do it this way first the progressive way maybe we need to vote in the right people vote in the right people of color maybe we need to vote in maybe this is what we need to do so that this could be more mal more um mastic masticable or more uh digesting this could be more how do you say it? how do you digestible? say this is later like first we do bernie sanders and then we do this first burn you know kind of thing like first we we that's what that was what i thought before you see i used to i used to think that was what we need to do uh but as i revisit what I used to be, uh, what I, as I revisit these 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 books, I think to myself, what happened to that Eduardo that was influenced by Ricardo Flores Magón, that was influenced by Juan Belén, Gutierrez de Mendoza, these two people who sparked the Mexican Revolution. I don't understand. I, this is what I I'm I'm thinking. Why did I lose that? Because these two. She was a feminist, and he was a, he was a he was an anarchist, and they were both anarchists, really, and they were both writers and journalists, and they were against the Porfirio Diaz uh, dictatorship in Mexico in the in the nineteen hundreds, and he wrote Regeneración, and she wrote the name escapes me for her publication. These were the most influential people that sparked the revolution in Mexico that were by peasants. 
So I'd like to revisit some of these things, I think, in part two or part three in the future, a history of Mexican Revolution, a history of Zapatistas. Who are these figures? Who is Ricardo Flores Magón? Who is Juana Belén? Who is, who are these people? These I would like to do slideshows. We could do it. And I see future episodes on this. But this is the early influences of me that I, in the background, these are my friends that kind of I shelved away and decided that maybe we, maybe I got convinced again and brainwashed by the progressive San Francisco left to, to do this other journey instead. And maybe I didn't, I thought it was all academic, maybe too far-fetched, too utopian, too out there for people. It wasn't, uh, people didn't, people, it'd be too, too radical. So I thought I'll just shelf these authors. I'll shelf, even though they're not theorists, these are actual people who did work on the ground, you know? Uh, so anyhow, that, that's to me. And what I have this ideal for is I, I have this desire, everything as, as Jess said, that's why I'm not saying what she said, but I do, I'm very much on board with what Jess said. Uh, I'm sorry for folks that may be redundant, but yeah, nature centered and to definitely break down these hierarchies. I don't see hierarchies like that. And that's important to me. And anarchism is about that. And once people break down that mental barrier inside their head, that these hierarchies are the issue, that these administrators are the issue, that this person who's above us is the issue, that these people who are rich are the ones who are the real criminals, and that the people who are at the top immigrating, because that's what they're doing, they're going from country to country without any vetting, they're the ones who are the issue. And it's not us the people at the bottom, the people, the working people. So once you get that, that's anarchism is what I think, you know, at the very fundamental, the very elementary level, as just said, it's, it's these hierarchies that I hope that we can get out of. And capitalism isn't, well, there are anar anarcho-capitalists, as some people would say, but it, it's not normally associated with that. I understand why people call themselves it's a little bit strange but uh i think anarchists have always existed um socialists are a bit more organized in their theory and their scientific method of how to how to read and understand um capitalism so i i i think that they deserve that credit but as I, I have said several times, there were, have been in history anarchists fighting alongside socialists. But when push comes to shove, eventually socialists have pushed anarchists away. And that, I, and, and, and we can explore that in history. I'd love to. Do you want to respond to anything Eduardo said? Because I do have a little bit of a follow-up for him. I guess I had one little thing, but you go can ahead. go. No, go for it and I'll come back. Well, I was just... I don't know. I, I didn't really say anything about my like backstory and like, you know, first mm. experiences with anarchism. And I feel like what you said about, um, I don't know, for you, it's almost like a coming back to your roots after mm -hmm. kind of getting pulled into the more like progressive, you know, just vote for change type of yeah. ideology. 
and for me, I feel like, so my, I guess my first like real, like adult grappling with people who I would consider anarchists. And in some cases, like used that label was as part of animal rights activism. Mm. Um, so with like the ALF, a little bit ELF, right? So animal liberation front, earth liberation front, mostly ALF. Um, you know, I would go to like activist organizing meetings or even like conferences and stuff. And there'd be like, I mean, sometimes there'd be academics or just kind of like, you know, more like, I guess, mainstream vegans who were like, passionate about animal rights but then there were also people who had like really robust anarchist ideologies um i remember like one of the first um kind of like activist like serious activist conferences i went to um in salt lake city um i met like the lead um sort of like point person for food not bombs there um so like that's an example of uh, an overtly like anarchist non-hierarchical organization right which is like i mean the animal rights aspect they they do they you know feed people and they only do plant-based food so that's the connection to like the animal rights veganism world um but yeah like it was founded by keith McHenry, who obviously a, um you know quite a well fairly well-known contemporary anarchist um he wrote like the um the newer version of the anarchist cookbook um yes yes (laughs) he's he's so cool um Uh but for me sorry to connect it back to how it was kind of segueing from your some of your examples and stories eduardo was just like i was like all for sort of anarchist alf principles but i feel like i was only you know this is like i don't know five ten years ago like i was only able to apply it like this one sort of sector right and it took for me like it took time to then be like oh okay wait like if we could just do it there like if we can just whether it's like going out into the streets and like feeding the homeless regardless of like whatever regulations you know um or whether it's like you know, undercover ALF people literally going into labs or going into factory farms, fucking just breaking the locks and like just just making it happen. Like just take taking the animals, driving them to a sanctuary, like doing whatever it takes, just like direct action, um taking responsibility into their own hands, right? Um to like be able to kind of apply that to like all of these other areas to the point where it becomes like a sort of full political ideology or application for me took time because like I campaigned for Bernie too while I was involved in this like sort of anarchist work in the vegan animal rights community um meanwhile I'm like knocking on doors trying to get people to vote (laughs) you know so yeah it's just interesting like the the way that people like how their their progression plays out that's true and just because she mentioned, sorry, that's rude in British society. If you say she when the person is present, I remember that being told all the time in the UK. <laughs> she mentioned, just mentioned. Nate does that all the time. It drives me crazy. 
But I don't mind if you do it. <laughs> I just remembered I said she, and then I thought of my friend Gemini who said, we never say she in front of the person that you're right there in front of. <laughs> you say her name. <laughs> and uh, anyhow, um, Jess mentioned the animal liberation front. That immediately brought to mind my friend who was who who was a vegan and in high school, and and he was from El, he he is from he was from El Salvador, and I remember he brought in he was this anarchist who brought and I would Andre, if he ever listens I doubt it maybe I'll send this him then send this to him I attribute his also his his. In dialogues with me during physics. We had physics together. Uh, and reading. And he always got Fs, but he was always reading his these thick books. And I attribute most of some of my 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 inspiration or more of that to to the folks that were doing anim- the yeah, ALF people folks. I, I wasn't a part of it, but I, I was very much a, an admiration. I didn't break any laws. We're on the internet, so I'm just <laughs> anyhow. Um, so you reminded me of a good friend that I want to just recognize for his um, for being um, uh, a part of my what do you call it contribution to my thinking. Um. Well. Maybe I'll come back. One thing you mentioned, yeah. Eduardo, this will be the first question, I guess, for Eduardo, and then the second question will be for both of you. Um, and it's kind of related to what you guys have said, so we're not moving forward out of this. Just um, So it's interesting to me because, first off, every time that I've talked about examples of rev- revolutionary inspiration, you often have gone back to Mexico and to the organizing of the Zapatistas as yeah. sort of like, you don't you don't go to... AMLO or some political official, you usually your touchstone for talking about independent act actions has been the Zapatistas. And yeah. it's interesting to me that you didn't mention it here, but in, since Jessica's here and Jessica just talked about mat- a kind of a matriarchal kind of society as being non hierarchical, I do know one of the things you have often mentioned about the Zapatistas that really put an, made an impression on you was the role of the women in that yeah. organization. Um, yeah. Armed and not just being armed, but being, being, having so much agency. Um, yeah. And so that, that's, that's a common feature I see between the two of you. And I got to follow yeah. up, but I'll just say that right now. Yeah. So Comandante Marco stepped down because again, the, the, the Zapatistas don't want to start idolatrizing. Idolatrando. Idolatrizing. The Sucumanante Marco. So they, he stepped down, and the, at one point there was a female leader. And the other thing that I started to think is you were talking, but then in some ways, Jessica, your story contradicts us a little bit. Um, me and Kenny have talked about Rosa Luxemburg and her relationship, how she talks about reform and revolution. And she's very clear to say, and the, the idea that the Democratic Party is the graveyard of social movements, the way that she would say it is that reformism and democratic politics would be reformism is not a is not halfway to revolution it is actually going in a different direction than revolution in many ways listening to you eduardo it that's literally the effect it had on you it actually directed you away politically Mm. directed you away from the thoughts of the people who had inspired you in a more revolutionary direction 
and it like you're you're almost kind of refining that again. I don't know if that's true for you, Jessica, because you were kind of talked about kind of Bernie in that way. So would you say you've had a different experience from Eduardo in relationship to liberal Democratic Party kind of politics, or would you say that you've had the same kind of thing? Okay, let me just make sure I'm understanding. You're saying that like being a part of that, you know, for some people just kind of like breaks them out of the Yeah, literally moves them away from their their passion of like, oh, we we could be free. We could be, we could have a completely different society. And then as Eduardo kind of put it, which I thought was very interesting, he's almost like, it almost made him forget what he, what he was so passionate about. Uh, I don't know if that's true for me because I feel like I was simultaneously doing work that I was passionate about and was more radical. Even I know I'm not, you know, really doing that work anymore but um I mean in that in like the vegan animal activist world but I do think it's kind of like you can you you can be a part of that democratic liberal mind until the point where you can't like for some people I mean some people just they go forever right and I, I mean, it's, I took it took me embarrassingly long because I like I campaigned for him in for Bernie in 2016, and then I campaigned again for him for the 2020 election. Right, like after it had been, you know, rigged and after everything that happened in 2016. Right. Um, so for me, I think it you know it took me that long. But then once I like once it failed a second time, and then of course like combined with everything in 2020 with COVID kicking off, it was just like. I fucking had enough and like it failed again. And then everybody in that movement who I knew was like, but you're going to vote not and like, you have to vote for Biden now. Right. And I was like, are you fucking serious? Like you have to be joking me. And that was, I voted green party and that was the last vote I cast. Right. Um, so I get, I don't know. I'm not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it did break me in a way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well then uh, you've kind of gone into your histories a little bit, so you, we might go more into there. I actually think what I'd like to do is ask a question that you kind of mentioned early, Jessica, which is you mentioned how uh, – well, I'll just ask it. How do your beliefs, as you as you describe them now, animate what you're doing right now? Like in what way do you feel like it, it gives it direction? And if you're – or how, how might it animate, animate your actual actions today? those beliefs a ton well can you yeah maybe you can describe it go ahead i just i was just waiting to see if eduardo wanted to jump in first um yeah i mean i think there's and you said this in the beginning andy when you described how like even though we put ourselves into these categories and in some cases like political parties or ideologies or whatever like we're all individuals so we all kind of have our individual brand so i think there's a there's an individual sort of expression or you know way of living or commitment or whatever and then there's this sort of like collective aspect and i think we need both obviously um so i guess in terms of like how it plays out in my daily life um it's totally like stuff that 5 years ago i would not have considered political at all let alone radical or revolutionary 
but you know like coming back to kind of my attempt to define anarchism as based on like this idea of relationship mutuality consensus decentralization like i'm just thinking about the sort of material changes that i've made in the past couple of years um so like when i think about revolution I mean, I don't know. Like, we always come back to this question of, like, what is the revolution going to be if there is one? And I think there's an aspect to that word that kind of feels, like, really, like, shiny and hopeful. But in, like, I've become so skeptical that sometimes my brain is just, like, I don't even know. Like, revolve, right? Like, revolution, revolve, right? Circle back around the wheel to end up in the same spot. Like, you know, just on the metaphor metaphorical level yeah okay maybe you're changed when you come back after that revolution but you're still in the same spot and so I guess you know the to extend the metaphor like anarchism in my mind is like no like just throw out the whole wheel (laughs) um so I think there are certain things like we're in a really horrible constrictive prison of a society like you know (laughs) for many reasons but there are certain things that some of us can do that I do think liberate us to a degree right and it again like it's not even the things that I used to consider important or like in a political sense important it's literally like making art like hosting a potluck reading books, um, throwing like your pharmaceuticals and pills and allopathic medicine in the bin, eating real food, um, not going to the hospital to give birth, right? Like these decisions that washing your hair with clay, (laughs) we're talking about that before we hit record, um, you know, growing fruit or whatever. It's like this, you know, you, whatever, I'm growing herbs in my backyard and I bring them to my neighbor and maybe she gives me eggs from her chickens. Like I, that's anarchy. Like it, it's, it's not revolution, I don't think, but it is in my opinion, a revolutionary act, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I mean, I think like just everything from where like I get my food to like where I spend my money. I mean, economics is a huge part of this. I grew up like hating money. Like and I still have a real like disdain for the just the whole concept of money. Um which maybe is a little bit of a different thing because I I do think there's like like counter economics is going to be huge in terms of like the collective struggle toward more of an anarchist society. Like we have to take down central banks, all of that kind of stuff. Right. And that's, I don't know that, that I don't think I'm really, I don't know. My mind isn't, I'm not really like economy like oriented. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get there, but yeah, I mean, it's really simple stuff. And I know like, I'm not saying that like the fact that I get my eggs outside of like an industrial structure, like I, but I mean, of course there's, it's not like a purity thing. Like I go and I put gas in my car in order to drive there, like blah, blah, blah. Okay. There's all these like hypocritical things, but like I go to the farm, I know the woman, I pay cash, right. These sorts of things. Or like, yeah, like I make, 
an echinacea tincture from herbs I grow and I gift it to friends and family, right. As medicine. Um, I'm not saying that like those things are going to be enough on like a collective scale, um, for like the revolution, whatever that is. Um, not just because of the nature of class warfare, right. Which like, as we talked about, um, like on our episodes with Tom and other episodes as well, like obviously class warfare makes those things difficult or even impossible for some people. But I do think, I know, and and there's also like the, sorry, I'll reel it in here in a second, but just, you know, when, when those sorts of actions reach a certain scale, the ruling class, the capitalists, the elite, right, like does crack down, you know, they, they criminalize like collecting rainwater, right? Like selling raw milk, <laughs> homeschooling, right? Or, or they'll just like straight up throw you in jail over shit that you didn't even do potentially. Um, so I'm not like, again, this gets into like the sort of like counter societies, homesteading off grid thing, which I'm for, like, I'm, I'm, hella for that but only if it's in sort of partnership with or at least with the understanding that we need both alternative communities and active militant probably resistance right and that I don't think we're going to be successful if we just try to do like one thing um so I guess like my process the past couple years has kind of been like trying to figure out where I where my place is and all that. Like I used to think I was like the person's like, I'm in this city. I want to be like, you know, breaking down those chains on the factory farm. Like I want to be like part of the militant resistance. Like that was my goal. Now I'm out here in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, all my energy is focused on like, how can I like go like one more week without going to the grocery store (laughs) or like, how can I like grow one more thing in my garden? Or like, how can I, make medicine like what what other areas of my life can I like bring more like sovereignty to like stupid stuff like literally like my hair care you know food it's not stupid but you get like it's 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 personal but that that's also like the the feminist thing like especially like second wave radical feminism like that's what they really brought to the forefront of this idea of like the personal is political right like it can't it's kind of from a different angle but I think it's fundamentally like the same concept right of like liberation takes place like yeah like in the public square and on the metaphorical battlefield but it also takes place like in your kitchen in your garden type of thing okay Edward how you go well I think I think that being having been a Jehovah's raised as a Jehovah's Witness for 18 years of my life, there was always service, always to do. There was always a service, preaching, going to the kingdom hall, which is like church, three times of the week, reading literature. I had to read the Bible. I had to read the magazine. Study, which gave me good skills in school. And I learned how to read at five. And I taught the same age. And nephew, I taught him how to read at five. It's possible, you know, just have to be consistent with it. So reading, studying, service, 
these things are always been ingrained in me. When I when I left the Jehovah's Witness world, it was like a vacuum. I didn't know how to perform, what to do. So then I just did the same thing. I just would read, read, study, read, study, but I didn't have service. I didn't have an act. So I think that's where the liberal, progressive left San Francisco politics filled in that void for me. And I would be able to go do campaigning, canvassing, and all these things, right? Uh, so you're asking, how does it reflect in what I do? It's since I've stopped voting, since I've stopped um, canvassing, since I've stopped joining organizations where they have these debates, uh, I, I filled it in with something else. And I'm struggling even today trying to figure out, because I was like, Jehovah's Witness, long time, also struggled after I left. And then this progressive, after I left it, what do I do next? So I've been, I don't know, I've shared in what's left episodes what I've I've been doing, whether it's supporting sex workers in Colombia, supporting immigrants in my country, in Mexico, and whether it's in public education, whether it's just being here on what's left, whether it's organizing with you, Andy, with the reopening of schools and this whole COVID stuff, you know, it, it is, it is, it's always been this, I'm still finding my way in it. And I have said some, in the last episode, we were talking about uh, Ohio. I said it then and I'll say it now, just to me, it doesn't feel um, sometimes I'm going somewhere, but I know staying local, organizing working class people around me. It, that's important to me. And that is showing solidarity. So that's what I've been doing. I've been, I've been organizing collectives, organizing people, regular people. I have a, a very, very long list of people to call. And every day I'm calling and talking to people. And that feels like instead of calling people to vote, I'm calling people to action. And I'm, 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 I'm also like Jess believe that what you do at home, how you live your life, such as growing your own food are necessary skills. You have to grow your own food. You have to learn how to take care of your, how to be sustainable on your own. These are like, what do you call it, preparatory? People who the preppers, the people who these are kind of things you have to do. There's just no, just like it's important, just like you've always, you've said in one episode, Andy, that people who are going to be revolutionary folk, they have to read. I also think revolutionary folk have to learn how to grow their food. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you do. And a lot of people don't like reading. You're going to have to read. You're going to have to read history. You're going to have to know these things. And you also have, alongside with that, I tell you, you have to learn how to grow your food. You have to learn how to do these tinctures. We're going to need those holistic nurses as Jess in this revolution. Do you know, we're going to need, I, I'm just using nurse for the conventional word, but we you know, healer, you know what I mean? Just for people to understand, but we're going to need to take care of ourselves. So off the grid, uh, I think the revolution is not something I've realized, not something we're waiting for. It's something that we are doing now. And what we're doing by broadcasting is also important 
is a contribution to the little antenna you were talking about, Andy, for people to find us, for people to connect with us. We saw that in Workers and Students for Choice. Um, unfortunately, my, 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 my reflection on Workers and Students, it, it only centered around COVID. And maybe that's something happens around that. And that, we can talk about that another time. But there is, for me, it's broadcasting here. It's every day growing my food and taking care of myself. Uh, it's meditating so that I can control my own emotions and I'm not lashing out and also dealing with just like the global world and the way that it is and being afraid of the World War Three. And so meditating is helpful to me, you know, and doing yoga. Those things are important to me, not because I believe, you know, that I'm, I'm, I, I mean, I maybe, you know, hippie in the heart, but but I, I do think it's a, it's, it's like you have to take care of your head, your mind. It's your mind, just in your head, but your mind in order to be able to continue. I don't it's like stamina. How do you continue this work when you feel let down or you feel like you call someone and then they're just like, you know, I'm not interested. You know, I'd rather you. I've, or people start talking rumors about you. Like recently, people are starting to say maybe I'm too much. Some parents are beginning to question because they're so they like their teachers and they're thinking that maybe I'm being divisive and I'm not trying to be divisive. I'm trying to show them, you know, like not just show them, I'm trying to have them organize their teachers, mm-hmm. tell them we're on the same team. Yeah. You can like your teachers, tell them then come onto our side, but something around maybe my communication, I'm not sure I'm still working on it, but when that happens and I hear whispers of me being divisive, it causes me to feel I come home scared and then I have to take care of my own health, my mental health. And that's why I've talked about meditation. It's not like this thing. I'm just doing it because, oh, I'm no, it really does help me. And so, um, so my ideals are hopefully that we continue building a society where Workers are not managed in countries and borders. Uh, alliances with people who think differently. That's something new I'm learning in, in, the, in these past three years, like working with other people who may not think alike. And maybe in that process, we find a way to meet and finally get somewhere. Um, you know, being uh someone who believes in not just the abolition like a police abolition like this is not something i just want to talk about in black lives matter circles this is something i think that we should just deal with it on our own how do we deal with conflict mental health crime like looting how do we move away from the looting that's happening at target and move towards the looting that's happening by bezos jeff bezos right how do we organize people to like, I'm not really concerned about people stealing shampoo and televisions. And, you know, this is not, to me, I've got bigger fish to fry. Everyone's focused on that. I'm talking about the looting that's happening at the top. You know, so that's, that's to me, what are you losing? Maybe a million dollars or less than that? Less than that if there's, you know, riots. But we're losing not like that this is important to me, but if you're so concerned about this capitalist 
money that's happening. You know, we're losing millions and millions and mil billions of dollars by a few people. So shifting the focus and, you know, having these circles with people that are going to listen to that. And what is my ultimate outcome? What I hope that we do, as I've said it, and I kind of edited it out, but, you know, the Paris Commune is an example of what I see could happen, which scares me to say it here. But, you know, the Paris Commune, they overtook their city hall in Paris. And if we organize well enough, we might just cut this part as the 6th of January. <laughs> but uh, we might just, um, how do I say it differently? Because I don't want to be a those were not empty. They stayed within the velvet ropes. <laughs> I'm I'm fine with celebrating January sixth as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> You're right. Those were not anarchists. No, but what I'm saying is when I mention that, it's it's you know, there there were previous like the sixth of January, this whole thing with those conservative people, those Trump supporters, those there was a sort of <laughs> <laughs> Those there there was a sort of a the sixth of January kind of deal. The Paris Commune was that they overtook the city and barricaded themselves, and so we can see. Unfortunately, they were overpowered, but we can see elements of that in other areas in other countries where people have taken over their towns or cities. I've mentioned a few little communities in Mexico and I'm hoping that the, the one thing I would hope in this is going to get me prosecuted we're going to be not ready to go to I hope not this is I'm scared of it. but you know I'm hoping that we could take over a city a town land in the USA there I said it and occupy it and and self-govern it uh that's what I hope to do. That's 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 what I would hope to do. And then some other cities inspired. But if we look at the history of Occupy, there was a lot of crackdown. We have to be organized. We have to be organized. And I wanted to highlight too, like I think some of what you said reflected this, but I think so much of it is just as much like a battle of consciousness as it is like a battle of like for resources or money or land or whatever like which gets back to like the yoga and the meditation and the reading and the like human connections and relationships and like your list of people to call eduardo but mm -hmm. <laughs> it is like i don't know to me like that's almost a bigger barrier than the stuff that people usually think about when they think about like takeover or annihilating the current systems well, yeah, the the thing I would say to connect the consciousness to something Eduardo had said is I think the people who, who these are your comrades who are calling you divisive or maybe they're whispering that maybe he's divisive is I think the reason they're doing that is because you're essentially saying, hey, folks, we could do this ourselves. We don't have to wait for an administrator. We don't have to wait for teachers. We can do this ourselves, and to us to get into that co that conscious state of like, well, we can just do this ourselves. 
that's a frightening thing for people. Yeah, and that it that is. is going to have to be lost. Like we are going to have to lose that fear of that, and we're going to have to have a hunger for that. Um, and that is why I do think you have that that response. And it takes me back to what you would a slogan you said, Jessica. Personal is political. Historically, and then in the past, I've been very critical of that. And I think you are also critical of that because when people have said it sometimes, they are almost like, I'm fighting for the revolution by doing these individual acts. I think you said it, and I would agree. It won't, we are not going to transform society by we just taking those individual acts together and maybe getting them a little bigger, like a big boycott, like a big, it's not going to happen. There's going to be some other kind of collective action that's going to have to be taken. But I do believe the thing you're doing, if we want to call it personal as political, is something that I've also been thinking about that I'm needing to do, which is it's sort of like you do need to keep yourself in that active mindset and that active mindset of resistance and finding little ways to resist the, this, this thing that's on you. Because I feel like otherwise you do become a blade that's dulled. And, and when you do have an opportunity to act, you're you're kind of listless, and that that's what I would actually accuse many of us socialists of doing. That particularly many of us who were critical of personal is not political, you know, that's just a faux revolution sort of thing. Well, we forgot that actually acts of resistance that we take are important because the, we will we will we will have to do that collectively with others, but we have to build that courage. We have to not let that courage wither within us to do something that's different that might be embarrassing if you heard about it or perhaps people might criticize. So it is actually, particularly in the context of low level of struggle, it's a survival skill for keeping yourself attuned to the possibility of change. Um, that's one of the things that I, that I, I might share with you, like share with, in, ter in terms of doing with what you're doing. Um, so that's not really a question. It's just, those are some thoughts I had as I was listening to both of you. Yeah, and I think, I mean, this is just my experience, and maybe it just means that I was not a great, like, organizer, but, like, I don't know. I feel like in terms of change, like, some of the more personal things, like, it's contagious, you know, it's 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 contagious, like, in your own life, like, the courage that you're talking about, Andy, like, you do one little thing, like, you learn to make a tincture, and you're like, oh, sweet, that, like, now I know how to do that, ooh, now, like, now I want to make hydrosols or like, now I want to make this. Right. And then you start, it starts picking up steam and suddenly you look back and you're like, Whoa, I just like claimed sovereignty over my life over like 15 different things in the past year. And I think some of those things also ripple out into the community. Um, and maybe it's just like a, the nature of how tired people are of the sort of political divisiveness, but it's like, I don't know. In some ways, I feel like just in a more like organic way of like, I don't know, you talk to women about like the fertility awareness method, right, as like an alternative to birth control. And like suddenly like women are asking you about it. And then like I have a friend who's like, oh, we should get together and like do a workshop and we should like have like come and like do classes and stuff and have women. And it's like suddenly we're basically doing organizing without even meaning to and it all just came from like this one decision of like yeah, I don't want to be on this drug anymore personally right um and I yeah I mean I'm not like in some ways that stuff is it's incremental change which is not fast enough 
but I don't know. We have to try stuff because at least what I was doing wasn't working. So yeah, I don't know. Well, what did you think of, cause Eduardo kind of laid out a notion of yes, incremental, you know, he's working with parents in the school system and uh, what is it? Uh, school site councils and things like that. And mm-hmm. at his particular school, but in no, in a, in a sense, he's saying, well, I eventually, I want to occupy this school. And eventually I don't want to just occupy one school. I want to occupy many schools. I want to occupy our city. I want to occupy like and that. If you can call that incremental, but he, I do hear in what he's saying, his actions at the school are with an idea of like, this is connected to a much bigger change that I want to see happen. Do you feel the same way in terms of your yourself? Yeah, because like if we just try to go occupy the school today, no one will come with us. Like you have to build that trust. So I don't know, like I don't know how how to speed it up. Like obviously I wish we could all just like, <laughs> you know, like the romantic vision of like everybody just grab your pitchfork and like here we go. I'd be down, but there's it's not happening. So it's like you have to I guess we have to do it the slow way. <laughs> But in terms of the end point being that same, you have a similar kind of view of, in some ways, we're talking now about a, a view of revolution, of how a revolution might happen. It's, it is, it's doing your own thing, but it's preparing to actually challenge the existing state and institutional order. Yeah. But it ha- you have to be, what you're doing has to actually be challenging to that and, political order, right? And an, an actual alternative to it. Like, it's got to be yeah. different in character you have to create yeah you have to create something like you have to create a sort of microcosm of the larger objective i guess two things i think i want to make commentary to you said andy this thing about working class folks seeing the getting them to see outside of how something i forget how you put it but how did you say it? sorry because um basically seeing that but they that getting giving them an, a sense of an appetite for like I can do this myself. Like we don't have yeah, to. Yeah, that's scary. Yes, yeah. Thank you, Andy. Yes. Oh, that's my struggle. That is the challenge of convincing people that there's another way. That is the challenge I face, and I notice the people I'm organizing with are getting there. They get they almost feel resigned, like no one wants to join us, no one wants to do this. And I'm constantly telling them, they've been conditioned this way for so long, this is the way they've been taught. We, we, we have to demonstrate we can, and then they'll join us. But if you give up, I always tell this to three, like three little parents, <laughs> like if you give up though, if we give up, they won't see it. But some people need to see it to do, to believe, to be there. We don't have to. You are a visionary. I'm a visionary. You are a visionary. We can. We we have to set the stage, and then other people will eventually. But we have to continue. But if you give up, then then it crumbles. We have to continue building and building and building and building, and then and then we'll get somewhere. And that that is the challenge. But I, I honestly think that it's like a wave. You know, it's like that the way we uh, we talked about the stadiums, which the Mexicans invented first, but <laughs> <laughs> people think that other people, countries, 
but you know, one person stands and no one's standing up and eventually you, and then people start joining and then it becomes this autonomous way. I do believe that. Uh, so I appreciate you mentioning that that is something I, the struggle, but it is keeping daily the, the person I, I, the person, you know, I think to myself, how did, these were real people. These aren't made up people. How did the how did revolutionary writers and and people who were in the Paris Commune? How did they do it? How did they? Because these aren't made up people. This is history. So it's not like I'm also just making up. I'm not the first to go. There are people behind me who did it, right? Even if it was a failed attempt, it was an act, and they attempt, and you keep going, you keep going, and. And I and I do think it's going to take different people like Jess and me and you and everybody. It's going to take writers. It's going to take artists. It's going to take, you know, that's what um, I think. Like uh, Ricardo Flores Magón and and as well as uh, Juana Belén, they they were writers. They were journalists, and they 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 writing as an act of of inspiration that caused them to to up to to rise in the peasants. Do you know? Yeah, and Jessica said this very early in this interview. It got my attention um, when you said you don't just want to like read stuff just to read stuff. You want it to yeah. be related to action. And yeah. if I was to make a again a criticism of us socialists is we have literally taken theory and turned it into theory for intellectual sake when yeah. it actually was supposed the reading of history. Reading about the Spanish Revolution or the Russian Revolution, where it went right, about where it went wrong, was supposed to be understood to as a to to be a part of figuring out your course today, like figure out how what actions to take today. It isn't supposed to be a debate just over ideas to see who knows it better and can I convince you of my idea versus your idea. That be, it became an academic thing, um, and mm, yeah. all. All I believe that the people who were revolutionaries and the ones you mentioned, Eduardo, I don't know them, but I'm sure they were theorists, but they were theorists whose theory was animated, was used to animate their actions. And if it doesn't do that, I don't think you're doing anything. You're not really using theory and practice together. You're, you're just, you're interested in ideas, you're interested in books and you want to talk about them, which is cool, but don't confuse yeah. that, don't confuse that for, for taking these ideas to animate you taking the things that pe revolutionaries did before or said before to try to figure out if we can put that into practice today and put, make some use of it today. Yeah. I wanted to say too, just on this, like this sort of self-responsibility thing that Eduardo brought up. Um, I think that's also like a huge or like one of the huge sort of um, things that holds people back from taking steps or being will willing to join, you know, something like Eduardo's group or just embrace like any sort of anarchist philosophy is, is the fact that like, you don't have anybody to blame if you fail. Right. It's like, even on a small scale, like when you take, when you truly take self-responsibility, you know, self-govern, whether it's like your whole, community or you know your morning routine like when it fails like you you can't blame the dnc you can't blame bernie 
it's on you, right? And so I think we have to kind of be willing to own that. And most people are not. It's too much of a risk. I will say to you both, because you both know this, having been organizers or participated in, in, in organizing work, this stuff does not pay. <laughs> I wish somehow I could, you know, the challenges. You know, I, I, I know, Andy, you and I know each other for a long time. I know the stuff that you've done. No one paid you to do all the excessive work you did additionally. You know, and Jess, you've talked about some of the things you've done. I don't obviously know everything you've done. I'm I'm sure all those countless hours, it it sometimes takes a toll. I don't know why I thought I'd say that, but yeah, it's it's a you, to take care of yourself is like very important. <laughs> I would say certainly it doesn't pay monetarily or yeah, um, but that's I will, what I mean monetarily. I will say that I think it at least. It allows you to sleep better at night, you know, allows you to sleep with a clear conscience. And probably the biggest one, particularly as I get older, is a sense of not having regret, like not having felt like you wasted your life. Like, I, mean, I don't think I like, like I said, if if this is a scorecard for, for political victories, I think I'm zero and 82, you know, like zero victories, 82 losses. But I don't, I don't, I'm, I'd rather be trying to fight than not at all you know and and that and i think i don't for me jessica i don't that is not my impression of people being afraid of failure it is fear i if it just feels like maybe it is a fear of failure then at that point but i i don't know there's a there's a way that people i'm not sure I, it, it, what you're saying I can't argue against it because ultimately people don't step out because they're afraid of, but it's almost like they can't even imagine that they are, that they're, that they're allowed to make the decision. It's almost like they've set the boundary themselves. Uh, it's like a dog that's been on a leash and you let that off the leash and it just stays within that. Uh, I don't want to talk about people as dogs, but it's that conditioning that has happened. That's what it feels it is. like. It's like people need a permission slip to even do like the tiniest, tiniest Change right. I remember so many things we would try to maybe even say to people. We we don't have to listen to our principal, but then people would always come back around. Can we at least check with the principal before we do this? I'm like, why do we got to check? Like, just let's do it, you know. And but but you you do have to you. It is important to keep. And this is where I think Jessica, the kinds of things you're talking about, I do think it's important for a person who's trying to do this to keep their life in a posture of resistance. Because you're always looking for those opportunities to, you can do your own thing, but you're always looking for those opportunities. Maybe there's a possibility of doing a collective thing where, where we can do something together. Because I think there's much bigger, there's a much bigger impact of that. Yeah, I completely agree with the, like the conditioning thing. I think that's. Have love. It's, yeah, it is. It's, I mean, and it's also like kind of Stockholm syndrome as well, right? Like. I must ask my captor for the crumbs type of thing. And you see it in like every single area of like, at least like the ones that I've kind of explored of like, like, Oh wait, like I don't, I don't like have to go to the doctor for my check if I don't want to like at all. No, <laughs> you don't need a permission slip. Right. Or like, yeah, all of this stuff. 
um, to not vote, you don't, you, you can just not do it. You can just compost the ballot. Like, well, I just want to recommend for people because this is one of my, for this one's in English, this one's of Dreams of Freedom, which is a Ricardo Flores Magón reader. So this is his works, which are very plain, simple way of writing and, um, his publication, Regeneración, Regeneration, I think it is. But that is who I, I was talking about. So if people want to, that's his picture there. He's Ricardo so he's the one who sparked the revolution alongside the unmentioned and sometimes obscured um, Juana Belen, who is a feminist and writer. So I want to, she's my number one first. Uh, and I thought maybe before we end and conclude this video, I invite folks to the audience uh, to check out this video. Uh, that's kind of a mini intro to anarchism, and it's a kind of I know it's kind of like QT way of sharing anarchism and make it friendlier for folks. Uh, it's it's a French uh, video that I thought uh, gives uh, kind of intrigueness or interest into further developing your ideas on what anarchism is. Because I think what happens is we shared and stuff. I said in the very beginning of this episode that I I have this qualm to share that I'm an anarchist because it's charged. And that it's it's because of the capitalists or the ruling class folk always, uh, you know, this the the red scare, anything to to try to demonize something outside of capitalism, such as socialism or 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 anarchism. And uh, so, why don't we conclude this episode with uh, something that will segue us into part two, a future part two episode? Because this will give us a chance to re uh, revisit the the uh, epi uh, anarchism episode in the future uh, with this video. Welcome to this school. Today I am speaking, but soon it will be you. Me, I'm not really a professor. I'm a black cat, as you can see. Right, the introductions are over. No, so, no, so let's get to work. This school is not like the others, because it's the school of revolt and freedom. We noticed in general that schools in almost every country strengthen inequalities and create little bosses, little soldiers, and little consumers. We call that social order. What a disaster. On the contrary, what interests us is freedom, because there's nothing more important. But... Social order is essential. Without a boss, it's a mess. <laughs> this guy, he is the character who is going to say silly things every episode. He will represent the dominant thinking. So he wears many different outfits. 
We'll talk more about dominant thinking in more details in a chapter about public interest. And as he is on the side of the dominance, we're allowed to make fun of him. Laugh all you want, but you didn't answer my question. I'm sorry, but social order is important. Without social order, no more society. It's dangerous. Social order is important. Yes. Of course social order is important. Except that we don't have the same definition of it as he does. If in a society there's bosses all the way at the top and slaves at the bottom, for us it is not order, but a mess. To us, the ideal social order, meaning the ideal organization of society, is a society without bosses. And as long as there will be bosses, the school will aim at learning how to get rid of them. We'll talk more about that in the next videos. As you can see, we have our work cut out for us. So see you soon. Long live freedom. And long live anarchy. Anarchy? Are you sure? Oh yes, of course. It will even be the topic of the next episode. Long live anarchy. And anyone can watch that video, the second episode, which is really cool. It lays down chum, 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 really well. You should see the rest of it, uh, Jess. Jess, what do you, <laughs> you think of that video? Yeah, I'll watch the, I'll watch the next one. Yeah, it's fun. I, I, I like it. I love the face on the cat. <laughs> you were a cat. Uh, you, you, rather, you were, you were... A pet of cats, because I think of it the other way. Cats always own you instead of the other pets. <laughs> Who Andy was? Yeah. I was a big cat owner. for I like, big into my cats, yeah. I grew up with cats. Yeah. Um, Anyhow. No, that's, that's that, I, I enjoyed that video. I'd forgotten there's a part two. Mm -hmm. Cats are kind of anarchist. Yeah. <laughs> like, they just do whatever. They're just going to do what they're going to do. You, you can't be their boss. All, All right. right. Is that it? Yeah. Well, thank you both for uh, taking the time to go through this stuff. And I think we have to figure out what part two will be, when it will be, and what it will be. All right. Let's conclude. Well, that does it for this week's episode. What's Left is a weekly political podcast, a channel challenging the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests on the episode notes for wherever you found this episode or on our blog at whatsleftpodcast.com. You can find past episodes to this podcast last channel there and connect with us. I remind folks, if you like anything you have heard here, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications to any of our platforms on the Spotify, iTunes podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, BitChute, uh, Odyssey, YouTube, Rumble, Telegram. And you can find our blog in any of those links in the episode notes where we found this episode. If you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. I'm Eduardo Barca with co-hosts Jessica and Andy Lipson, and we look forward to having a candy soon. And uh, you can always find our social media handles as at Don Eduardo Barca and at ZPKE on Instagram and Jess's Twitter handle as at jhomie89. Thank you. All right. Ciao.